0: Download the Viator app now and use code VIATOR10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chapter 110. Queequeg in his coffin. Upon searching, it was found that the casks last struck into the hold were perfectly sound, and that the leak must be further off. So, it being calm weather, they broke out deeper and deeper, disturbing the slumbers of the huge ground-tier butts, and from that black midnight, sending those gigantic moles into the daylight above. So deep did they go, and so ancient and corroded and weedy, the aspect of the lowermost puncheons, that you almost look next for some moldy cornerstone cask containing coins of Captain Noah, with copies of the posted placards, vainly warning the infatuated old world from the flood. Tears after tears, too, of water and bread and beef and shooks of staves and iron bundles of hoops were hoisted out, till at last the piled decks were hard to get about, and the hollow hull echoed underfoot as if you were treading over empty catacombs and reeled and rolled in the sea like an air-frighted demijohn. Top-heavy was the ship, as a dinnerless student, with all Aristotle in his head. Well was it that the typhoons did not visit them then. Now, at this time, it was that my poor pagan companion and fast-bosomed friend Queequeg was seized with a fever, which brought him nigh to his endless end. Be it said that in this vocation of whaling, signatures are unknown— "'Dignity and danger go hand in hand till you get to be captain. "'The higher you rise, the harder you toil. "'So with poor Queequeg, who is a harpooner, "'must not only face all the rage of the living whale, "'but, as we have elsewhere seen, "'mount his dead back in a rolling sea, "'and finally descend into the gloom of the hold, "'and bitterly sweating all day in that subterraneous confinement, "'resolutely manhandle the clumsiest casks "'and see to their stowage,' To be short, among whalemen, the harpooners are the holders, so-called. Poor Queequeg. When the ship was about half disemboweled, you should have stooped over the hatchway and peered down upon him there. Where, stripped to his woolen drawers, the tattooed savage was crawling about amid that dampness and slime, like a green-spotted lizard at the bottom of a well. And a well or an ice-house, it somehow proved to him, poor pagan, where, strange to say, for all the heat of his sweatings, he caught a terrible chill, which lapsed into a fever, and at last, after some days' suffering, laid him in his hammock, close to the very sill of the door of death. How he wasted and wasted away in those few long, lingering days, till there seemed but little left of him but his frame and tattooing. But, as all else in him thinned, and his cheekbones grew sharper, his eyes, nevertheless, seemed growing fuller and fuller, they became of a strange softness of luster, and mildly but deeply looked out at you there from his sickness, a wondrous testimony to that immortal health in him which could not die or be weakened. And like circles on the water grow fainter, expand, "'so his eyes seemed rounding and rounding "'like the rings of eternity. "'An awe that cannot be named would steal over you "'as you sat by the side of this waning savage "'and saw as strange things in his face "'as any beheld to her bystanders when Zoroaster died. "'For whatever is truly wondrous and fearful in man "'never yet was put into words or books, "'and the drawing near of death,' which alike levels all, alike impresses all with a last revelation, which only an author from the dead could adequately tell. So that, let us say it again, no dying Chaldee or Greek had higher and holier thoughts than those whose mysterious shades you saw creeping over the face of poor quequeg as he quietly lay in his swaying hammock, and the rolling sea seemed gently rocking him to his final rest, and the ocean's invisible flood tide lifted him, higher and higher, towards his destined heaven. Not a man of the crew but gave him up. And as for Queequeg himself, what he thought of his case was forcibly shown by a curious favor, he asked. He called one to him in the gray morning watch, when the day was just breaking, and taking his hand, said that while in Nantucket he had chanced to see certain little canoes of dark wood like the rich war-wood of his native isle. And upon inquiry he had learned that all whalemen who died in Nantucket were laid in those same dark canoes, and that the fancy of being so laid had much pleased him, for it was not unlike the custom of his own race, who, after embalming a dead warrior, stretched him out in his canoe, and so left him to be floated away to the starry archipelagos. For not only do they believe that the stars are isles, but that far beyond all visible horizons, their own mild, uncontented seas inner-flow with the blue heavens, and so form the white breakers of the Milky Way. He added that he shuddered at the thought of being buried in his hammock, according to the usual sea custom, tossed like something vile to the death-devouring sharks. No, he desired a canoe, like those of Nantucket, all the more congenial to him, being a whaleman, that, like a whaleboat, these coffin canoes were without a keel, though that involved but uncertain steering, and much leeway adown the dim ages. Now, when the strange circumstance was made known aft, the carpenter was at once commanded to do Queequeg's bidding, whatever it might include, There was some heathenish, coffin-colored old lumber aboard, which upon a long previous voyage had been cut from the aboriginal groves of the Lackaday Islands, and from these dark planks the coffin was recommended to be made. No sooner was the carpenter apprised of the order than, taking his rule, he forthwith, with all the indifferent promptitude of his character, proceeded into the forecastle and took Queequeg's measure with great accuracy regularly chalking Queequeg's person as he shifted the rule. "'Ah, poor fellow, he'll have to die now,' ejaculated the Long Island sailor. "'Going to his vice bench, the carpenter, for convenience sake and general reference, now transferringly measured on it the exact length the coffin was to be, and then made the transfer permanent by cutting two notches at its extremities. "'This done,' He marshaled the planks and his tools, and to work. When the last nail was driven and the lid duly planed and fitted, he lightly shouldered the coffin and went forward with it, inquiring whether they were ready for it yet in that direction. Overhearing the indignant but half-humorous cries with which the people on deck began to drive the coffin away, Queequeg, to everyone's consternation, commanded that the things should be instantly brought to him, nor was there any denying him. Seeing that, of all mortals, some dying men are the most tyrannical, and certainly, since they will shortly trouble us so little forevermore, the poor fellows ought to be indulged. Leaning over in his hammock, Queequeg long regarded the coffin with an attentive eye. He then called for his harpoon, had the wooden stock drawn from it, and then had the iron part placed in the coffin along with one of the paddles of his boat. "'all by his own request. "'Also, biscuits were then ranged round the sides within. "'A flask of fresh water was placed at the head, "'and a small bag of woody earth "'scraped up in the hold at the foot, "'and a piece of sailcloth being rolled up for a pillow. "'Queequeg, now entreated to be lifted into his final bed, "'that he might make trial of its comforts, if any it had. "'He lay without moving a few minutes, then told one to go to his bag and bring out his little god, Yojo. Then, crossing his arms on his breast with Yojo between, he called for the coffin lid, hatch, he called it, to be placed over him. The head part turned over with a leather hinge, and there lay Kwekwek in his coffin with little but his composed countenance in view. I? it will do, it is easy, "'he murmured at last, and signed to be replaced in his hammock. "'But ere this was done, Pip, who had been slyly hovering nearby all this while, "'drew nigh to him where he lay, and with soft sobbings took him by the hand, "'in the other holding his tambourine. "'Poor rover, will ye never have done with all this weary roving. "'Where go ye now? "'But if the currents carry you to these sweet Antilles, "'where the beaches are only beat with water-lilies,' Will ye do one little errand for me? Seek out one Pip, who's now been missing long. I think he's in those far Antilles. If ye find him, then comfort him, for he must be very sad. For, look, he's left his tambourine behind. I found it. Rig-a-dig-dig-dig. Now quee-queg die, and I'll beat ye your dying march. I have heard, murmured Starbuck, gazing down the scuttle, that in violent fevers men, all ignorance, have talked in ancient tongues, and that when the mystery is probed, it turns out always that in their wholly forgotten childhood, those ancient tongues had been really spoken in their hearing by some lofty scholars. So, to my fond faith, poor Pip, in the strange sweetness of his lunacy, brings heavenly vouchers of all our heavenly homes. Where learned he that but here? Hark, he speaks again. But more wildly now, form two and two. Let's make a general of him. Oh, where's his harpoon? Lay it across here. Rig a dig 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 huzzah! Oh, for a gamecock now to sit upon his head and crow. Quikweig dies game. Mind ye that Quikweig dies game. Take ye good heed of that. Quikweig dies game, I say. Game, game, game. But base little Pip, he died a coward. Died all a shiver out upon Pip. Hark ye. "'If ye find Pip, tell all the Antilles he's a runaway, "'a coward, a coward, a coward. "'Tell them he jumped up from a whaleboat. "'I'd never beat my tambourine over base Pip "'and hail him general, if he were once more dying here. "'No, no, shame upon all cowards, shame upon them. "'Let him go drown like Pip, that jumped from a whaleboat. "'Shame, shame.' "'During all this, Queequeg lay with closed eyes as if in a dream.' "'Pip was led away, and the sick man was replaced in his hammock. "'But now that he had apparently made every preparation for death, "'now that his coffin was proved a good fit, "'Queequeg suddenly rallied. "'Soon there seemed no need of the carpenter's box, "'and thereupon, when some expressed their delighted surprise, "'he, in substance, said that the cause of his sudden convalescence was this. "'At a critical moment, he had just recalled a little duty ashore,' which he was leaving undone, and therefore had changed his mind about dying. He could not die yet, he averred. They asked him, then, whether to live or die was a matter of his own sovereign will and pleasure. Be answered, certainly. In a word, it was Queequeg's conceit that if a man made up his mind to live, mere sickness could not kill him, nothing but a whale or a gale or some violent, ungovernable, unintelligent destroyer of that sort. Now, there is this noteworthy difference between savage and civilized, that while a sick civilized man may be six months convalescing, generally speaking, a sick savage is almost half well again in a day. So in good time, my gained strength, and at length, after sitting on the windlass for a few indolent days, but eating with a vigorous appetite, he suddenly leaped to his feet, threw out his arms and legs, gave himself a good stretching, yawned a little bit, and then springing into the head of his hoisted boat and poising a harpoon, pronounced himself fit for a fight. With a wild whimsiness, he now used his coffin for a sea chest, and emptying it into his canvas bag of clothes, set them in order there. Many spare hours he spent in carving the lid with all manner of grotesque figures and drawings, and it seemed that hereby he was striving in his rude way to copy parts of the twisted tattooing on his body. And this tattooing had been the work of a departed prophet and seer of his island, who, by those hieroglyphic marks, had written out on his body a complete theory of the heavens and the earth, and a mystical treatise on the art of attaining truth. So that Queequeg, in his own proper person, was a riddle to unfold, a wondrous work in one volume, but whose mysteries not even himself could read, though his own live heart beat against them. And these mysteries were therefore destined in the end to moulder away with the living parchment whereon they were inscribed, and so be unsolved to the last. And this thought, it must have been, which suggested to Ahab that wild exclamation of his, when one morning, turning away from surveying poor Queequeg, O devilish tantalization of the gods! Chapter 111 The Pacific When gliding by the Bashi isles we emerged at last a great south sea. Were it not for other things, I could have greeted my dear Pacific with uncounted thanks. For now, the long supplication of my youth was answered. That serene ocean rolled eastwards from me a thousand leagues of blue, There is, one knows, not what sweet mystery about this sea, whose gently awful stirrings seem to speak of some hidden soul beneath, like those fabled undulations of the Asphesian sod over the buried evangelist, St. John. And meet it is that over these sea-pastures, wide-rolling watery prairies and potter's fields of all four continents, the waves should rise and fall and ebb and flow unceasingly, for here, millions of mixed shades and shadows, drowned dreams, somnambulisms, reveries, all that we call lives and souls, lie dreaming, dreaming still, tossing like slumberers in their beds, the ever-rolling waves but made so by their restlessness. To any meditative Magian rover, this serene Pacific, once beheld, must ever after be the sea of his adoption— it rolls the midmost waters of the world, the Indian Ocean and Atlantic being but its arms. The same waves wash the moles of the new-built Californian towns, but yesterday, planted by the recentest race of men, lave the faded but still gorgeous skirts of Asiatic lands older than Abraham, while all between float milky waves of coral isles and low-lying, endless, unknown archipelagos and impenetrable Japans. Thus, this mysterious, divine Pacific zones the world's whole bulk about, makes all coasts one bay to it, seems the tide-beating heart of earth. Lifted by those eternal swells, you needs must own the seductive God bowing your head to Pan. But few thoughts of Pan stirred Ahab's brain, as standing like an iron statue at his accustomed to place beside the mizzen-rigging, With one nostril, he unthinkingly snuffed the sugary musk from the bashy isles, in whose sweet woods mild lovers must be walking, and with the other consciously inhaled the salt breath of the newfound sea, that sea in which the hated white whale must even then be swimming. Launched at length upon these almost final waters and gliding towards the Japanese cruising ground, the old man's purpose intensified itself. His firm lips met like the lips of a vice. The delta on his forehead's veins swelled like overladen brooks. In his very sleep, his ringing cry ran through the vaulted hull. Stern all, the white whale spouts thick blood. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.